Salam and welcome to our podcast, Muslims on Fire. Stories from ordinary Muslims doing extraordinary things. With your host, Maruf. Dear listener, Based on many requests from our listeners, we are launching a Muslims on Fire Academy. It's for those who want to do more than just listening. It's for those who not only want to be inspired, but to be one of the Muslims on Fire as well. It's for those who want to discover their purpose in life, follow their dreams, and live in prosperity. If this is you, join us for a journey of a lifetime. The introduction course is free. Learn more at academy.muslimsonfire.com. Learn more at academy.muslimsonfire.com. Assalamu alaikum. This is Maroub. Welcome to the Muslims on Fire. Today I have a very special guest, a friend, a mentor, and advisor, Brother Rafi from Dinar Standard. Hey, Assalamu alaikum, Rafi. Welcome to the show. Wa alaikum assalam. Brother Maroub, good to hear from you and a pleasure to be on. It's a pleasure to get you on the show, even after uh, some a period. You know what? Why don't we start with, uh, why don't you tell us briefly uh, what you are doing these days? Then we dive into a longer story. Why don't we start with this? Go ahead, please. Sure. So, Bismillah, uh, first and foremost, I'm a proud uh, father of three wonderful kids, ranging from uh, high school to a six-year-old. I have a wonderful uh, partner, life partner. He's an artist, and alhamdulillah, we're, so that's first and foremost. Uh, I'm blessed to have my parents with us and providing our bless, uh, their blessings to us all the time and my wider uh, siblings and family as well. And in terms of the work, nowadays I'm leading, or for now, launched a firm in 2004 in our standard, but as a consulting firm in 2008. And so alhamdulillah, in our standard is now a recognized research and advisory firm, growth strategy research and advisory firm, uh, with the anchor focus or, or the most prominent focus and known for our work in the Islamic economy space, as uh, Maruf, uh, you very well know, uh, but also now doing government innovation work uh, at a global level, as well as a social impact investment. So, so that's in a nutshell. Thank you very much. Well, okay, so let me rephrase that. So the dinner standard... Some of you may not know the name, but I'm sure you have come along at at least one of their charts or reports. So they have been publishing this report, Global State of Islamic Economy. Anything you have seen about Islamic Economy and its growth, it's most probably it's come from the Dinar Standup and their team. So, but before that, we want to, today, we want to talk to Rafi about his story, you know, his life story, so where he come to me. So why don't we start with that? Rafi, why don't you tell us, you know, sometimes when we look back, we can connect uh-huh. the dots looking backwards. Right now, when you look back at your childhood memories, how do you see them? Like, do you remember any of those memories that kind of contributed to whom you are today in some specific way? And I would like to know that. Then let's start there, and we're going to take it from there and, and move on. You know, sure, sure. Go ahead. So ab- absolutely, there's a strong link, and, and in fact, I, I leverage it uh, very much in my motivation to what I'm doing now within our standard. But uh, before I talk about the childhood part, uh, Maruf, I think it's probably 
relevant to share with you the motivation to start in our standard as well. Sure. So because then that will link well to the, the childhood part. So September 11, 2000, 2001, I was in Boston uh, doing strategy consulting work. As you know, the terrorist attack in, in New York City. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was a, a two years into my a few, sorry, not two actually, two years in Boston by that time, and about eight years in my professional career. Mm-hmm. You know that affected a lot of uh, as Muslim professionals around the world, especially in America. I was certainly one of them. And in pursuing the professional work that we're doing, and uh, this question of what is the role of us as Muslims in the world, mm-hmm. especially you know in that time period, the, this this huge negative uh, impact on the the role of Muslims in the world that was happening. So knowing our very proud history as innovators in terms of everything from astronomy to uh, medicine to even bureaucracy, you know, the, this, this was something that really affected me. I also always had a, a fire in my belly to do something on my own or build something myself. So I was evaluating about that time or what would it be and, and this really had an effect on it. And one thing I observed around that point in this evaluation was on uh, this assessment of what should I be pursuing is I noticed that around the most, uh, because uh, in Boston, I was working with a strategy consulting firm, having worked with various Fortune 500 firms or companies and how they built ventures and brands from zero to global in a matter of, you know, a few years. So it's a known science and art. But I observed at that time that within the Muslim-majority countries, there's not been one top 100 global brand. And uh, as I looked into it further, in back in this past century, we never had one at a top 100 level. And so that, to me, was a shocker. And I wanted to explore that from a, as a professional and potentially pursue that as, a, as first as a media proposition or a mm-hmm. B2B magazine like a business week or an economist type of a thing. So I designed a ranking to first see what what do we have. So I drafted a top 100 ranking of brands or businesses in the Muslim majority countries. And because my background was primarily business, I needed, you know, a friend introduced me to another friend who became a co-founder with me on this journey, Sajjad Chaudhry, who had also background in Islamic sciences. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I shared the idea with him because the two big questions I was passionate at that time or, or had to address with the Senate was, number one, why don't we have global brands from the Muslim world or Muslim communities around the world? Mm-hmm. And number two, what is the role of Islam or Islamic thinking in the modern business sense? And because my background was not academic, you know, we wanted to pursue it more in a very practical private sector way that I, we decided we'll launch it as a business magazine, like an online business magazine. And that's what we did 2000. In fact, we registered the project or business in, in New Jersey in December 2004. And we launched it as an online platform. Okay. Um, so I can tell more about our journey. At Sajad. So basically about 2004 to 8, we really pursued this, doing a lot of original research work. But as a business model, it wasn't working. Sajad had to pursue another opportunity as a result, and I basically continued on taking some small seed investment. From the beginning, one of the close mentors for me was uh, Brother Amir Rahman, who many of us know, and you would you certainly do as well. And I took on a couple other close mentors uh, who, who put in some seed money mm-hmm. uh, and, and switched the you know, Narsan into a consulting model. 
And that's where I started getting some traction. So, so I'll talk more about the business, but uh, coming back to your original question about childhood memory, right? Mm-hmm. So I, as I said, I grew up in, or, or I'm, I grew up in Oman, but I'm originally from Pakistan. So 1984, and I'm, it's okay, I'm, I'm going to date myself, <laughs> but that's perfectly fine. I was fascinated by F-16. This was the time when uh, Pakistan had acquired some F-16 planes, or they had, and, and I really was fascinated. I just wanted to build planes like that. And so I actually joined the Pakistan Air Force. Mm-hmm. This is straight out of 10th grade. They, they recruited at that level. And my, you know, I was quite, I was quite young, but uh, that was, I was very passionate about these planes. And I, I thought I'd get an opportunity to do that. And, and, uh, and it was a great, and a couple of years into the training program, I realized I didn't necessarily want to be a soldier. I wanted to build planes. And, and so I had, you know, God spent an opportunity where I had an opportunity to leave or exit midway. Mm. And as an honorable exit, which I took, and I came to U.S. One thinking question. I wanted to... One, one good yeah. question here. So when you started your studies, you started as engineer or as a pilot? Engineer. I joined, okay. I was recruited to be an aeronautical engineer. That's got what it. I wanted to do. Got it, got it. Okay. So, yeah. But what happened is, you know, obviously the, the role, so it's, it's, it, the difference would be if I joined a manufacturing company versus the Air Force where, you know, the role is different. Oh, I see. Yeah. You know, I mean, not to say, and I'm very grateful to that experience. It's an incredibly uh, professional and impressive organization now actually building planes uh, uh, themselves. But at that time, I, I didn't see that path clearly. And, and I had the opportunity to exit. So I did. And mm-hmm. I came to the U.S. And, you know, all we plan, but God has his own plans for all Absolutely. of us. And, and I'm certainly blessed that the, the path is able to take. Uh, so I fast forward in U.S. I, I started doing mar- I, I took marketing. I couldn't get in. I couldn't afford uh, to be uh, honest. Getting into an aeronautical engineer program in the U.S. So I pursued uh, marketing mm-hmm. and computer science as a minor. And during that time, I really got fascinated by two brands in the U.S. Others as well, but in particular Nike and mm-hmm. Dell. Mm-hmm. And and I saw I was super fascinated by how brands. Nike as a brand was being built, you know, it was not about selling shoes. It was about Sub- the spirit of competition. And, and I, I was amazed how that type of a proposition creates so much business value to, an, to a firm, to a company. Absolutely. And makes them the powerhouses that they are. And today's analogy would be Apple and Google and so forth. So, so I was fascinated by both Dell and uh, Nike and and realized my love for building planes was about building something amazing. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's now links back to fast forward my you know, about 10 years or so of professional experience in the U.S. working for a boutique. I started working for a small media consultancy out of Charlotte, North Carolina as a head of marketing. Mm-hmm. And I learned a lot about sports marketing there as well as senior corporate communication work and moved to Boston with a strategy consulting firm. So, so I had a, and, and then to post 9-11 with a, a, a major top 100, top 500 or 100 global firm in New York. So I had the, the good platform of working in a professional environment before I started the NAR standard, which I think is important. Of course. And it's at that point, like I said, if I now link to the story of September 11 with my childhood passion and the passion to build something, 
you know, 9-11 happened and I was looking to, at that stage of 10 years into my professional career, start something on my own, build something on my own. And this question of, okay, what are we doing in the Muslim world when it comes to building things and this question of, well, there aren't any global brands. Why is that? I mean, this is a quarter of the world's population. They have all type of talent and land and money. And so, you know, I really, that kind of links to how Dinar Sanders started. Is that childhood love, which I still carry with me. And alhamdulillah, our passion vision remains, which is how do you create global brands from this part of the world, but also global brands for anyone or innovations that have a good impact, uh, social impact and, and are responsible ventures. And to kind of close that, this part of your question, we learned, you know, with my friend and partner beginning, Sajjad, and uh, many others, Amir, and others who've joined this journey, my thinking and our thinking, Dinar Standard, has also evolved to now wanting to make Dinar Standard a global top global consultancy, mm-hmm. and, but infused with our values and to bring good to the world as a consulting firm and also as a consulting firm enabling others in our communities to become global success story. Absolutely. You, you know, what I've noticed is that recently I was talking to another brother from, uh, I don't know if you know them. It's, uh, they're from, they're based in the U.S., Zakat Foundation of America, brother Khalil Demir. Yeah. So he was telling me, I was asking him the same question. He was telling me that how he started his charity. Actually, he started a couple of weeks, I think if I remember correctly, after 9-11. And now you're telling me how 9-11 affected you and you started this. I also remember from my own experience, I didn't start a company, but for me it was crucial because I came to Denmark in 2003. It was, as you remember, two years after that, and there was all those crazy things going on TV. I was beginning to question my who am I and all those things. I mean, what I'm saying is that, and I can see a pattern in many people, like especially Muslims, um, this horrible incident kind of affected us in a way instead of just getting down with it and, want, you know, we want to do something about it. And I think that is, this is this kind of pattern I'm just trying to notice. And I think at the end of the day, it's not what happens, but really, really I think what it really means to us and what we do about it, right? Isn't it correct yeah, at the end of the day? That's right. So, I mean, okay. Right. I mean, here's a question for you. You said when you were looking at this top 100, you didn't see any Muslim brand and it, it kind of was kind of shocker for you. But actually, if I may comment, you're right. I mean, I think it's not only 100. I would say our kind of innovation kind of stopped 15th, 16th century as a Muslim civilization. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, you know, there's so many reasons. As we started in our standard, as, like I said, end of mm. 2004. So I've been immersed in answering this question for the past, uh, you know, since then, 15 plus years. Mm-hmm. And there are many... Yes, absolutely. But, you know, people say, oh, it's because of this, it's because of that. Whatever it is, because we're smart enough to solve it. Absolutely. And I think that's what we wanted to contribute to, while also ourselves, holding ourselves to that big thinking. And, you know, we actually had done a proper study on this very question, Maruf, of, okay, why? Mm -hmm. Uh, Why why not now? And, um, And the reasons to what happened and why the demise happened, you know, there's so many social, political aspects to it from the demise of the ottoman empire to many other reasons right mm-hmm. uh, even even theological religious thinking people say had had really stopped evolving and and so i mean i'm not a you know i, I have a business uh, background so that wasn't my 
expertise, my, my thought was, this is where we are now yeah. and it doesn't make sense and how mm -hmm. can we solve for it? Yeah, as a practical <laughs> entrepreneur, I understand yeah. it. That's good. So, well, you've been on this journey like 10, 15 years now. So one of the things, I think you did a very beautiful job like explaining how it all started and where you are today. Like, I think there's something, small thing missing. I'd just like to ask you if you don't mind. You said you grew up in Oman, right? But you, yeah. you were born in Pakistan. So, would you like to shed a little bit light on that? So how come you were born in Pakistan and your parents moved to Oman or you were studying? What happened there? Sure, sure. My parents' parents moved. I was two years old. My father oh, was in banking. Oh, see. And we were in Oman and I pretty much grew up. But it was still in a, in a little bit of a bubble as, you know, many foreign communities or just diaspora communities live, live in their own clusters. Yes. And especially that time. So did we. But yes, I grew up in Oman, uh, went a very sheltered youth. You know, Oman is a very peaceful country, uh, strong nostalgia of, of having grown up there, very strong appreciation of the people of Oman. I don't know if you may know, recently the Sultan of Oman passed away, an amazingly gracious man. And we grew up seeing his his openness and graciousness, his people and, and generally the people. And as uh, you know, you don't hear about Oman, right? So Oman yeah. is right bordered with Saudi Arabia and Yemen and UAE, and you just don't hear about it. That's true. In, in context of the global geopolitical That's true. Uh, activities. And it's a very peaceful and it, it country. People are very peaceful. So we were living in a country. I grew up in an environment that was very sheltered from the outside Interesting. You know, world in that sense. So, yeah. Yeah, that uh, and and there the, the you know my father worked for a bank called BCCI. Mm -hmm. Coming to the point about the subsidiary of BCCI, which is one of the, I would say it was in its time, which is no more. Uh, many of you may not know, but this was one of the largest banks across the emerging markets third world, and was starting to expand into U.S. and Europe as well when it was sh shut down for some some corrupt practices so forth, but. But the way that bank was built, it was it was the only bank that reached its, its a level of success. Uh, it was started by from the UAE, mm -hmm. and it became a global international bank run by many uh, Pakistani bankers. And I see. probably in that time, childhood questions are sponsored by Ali Huda. Ali Huda is a video on-demand streaming platform for Muslim children where they can watch cartoons and shows while learning about Islam the fun way. If you are a Muslim parent, this will be one of your best investments. Visit www.alihuda.com for a seven-day free trial. Now back to the show. The leading brand from the Muslim world. I see. Uh, there was no bank, and then it got shut down. So, so the story of of BCCI's rise is equally important to and, and had a little bit of an influence because it was quite quite a success story of that time. I see. So let me tell. Uh, so your school years were in Oman, then, right? You were studying at school in Oman. Is it correct? Yep. yep. So in, in, through tenth tenth grade. Got it. Got it. So. Were there any subjects, particularly like of your favorites, or you enjoyed the school at all? Because I remember interviewing some guests and say, I particularly like this subject. Some say all subjects, because the whole purpose of the story is to kind of try to understand where we stay. Because people are different, right? Some people just only like some subjects, some like to all. And we're trying to 
find a path, you know, someone might find it beneficial, someone find it in their similar situation. That's why mm-hmm. was there any subject that kind of jumped at you and you really liked and the rest you didn't like much? Or how was your school years? Sure. Well, let me say which subject I didn't like or was really bad at. Okay. Barely passed of chemistry. Mm-hmm. And in terms of I was good, okay in math and other uh, science, I think was probably my favorite I was good at drawing, so I really liked biology because I had to draw. We had to draw in our journal. Oh, that's interesting. You know, uh, drawing. I didn't know that. Anatomy. Yeah. Now, I think that's my failed effort at drawing. But my <laughs> love for it probably had something to do with uh, my wife being an artist and living that, you know, that type of my uh, wishes through her work as well a bit. And, then, and, you know, I think I would say even some of our create, you know, if you've seen a lot of our Dinar Sanders work, mm-hmm. Even though it may be all boring business data, but I, I really like to tell a good, strong, Absolutely. creative story. Absolutely. And so you'll see a lot of our work is, you know, we tried our best to have it visually nicely presented. Yes. And so, so there is a link potentially to that. But other than that, yeah, I mean, I was an okay student. I wasn't a A plus student. I was okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I always wanted to do extracurricular stuff. I was like, I was always doing a lot of extracurricular So stuff, here's yeah. a question, like, You know, one of the things, other things I noticed is that, I know, I mean, you were born in a Muslim family, I understand that, but today, kind of, most of the work you do is, as you said, is very inclined, and you also mentioned that it, it came to, like, it, 9-11 has an effect on it, but I want to ask you, like, at, at some point in our life that even you're born as a Muslim, you have to kind of take a conscious decision, you know, that's something I want to focus on, you know? Did it happen also at 9-11, or did it happen just or before that? Do you understand my question? Um, yeah, 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 absolutely. So Alhamdulillah, we were uh, blessed to have, you know, we have a very, my childhood, my home, uh, mm. my parents uh, very much practicing uh, Muslims. We had a very good, I mean, we were not very, very religious, but, you know, my dad, my mom, you know, we, we read the Quran, we would go to Friday prayers, and um, so, but not, like I said, not super religious relatively, I, I suppose, but I had a very good basic grounding. And I think as we, the, the term taqwa or having a God in your heart or Allah in your heart, I think we had that. We certainly had that. And, and that definitely is critical, I believe, you know, in, in terms of as you grow up. And then 9-11 did have, an, and did have a significant impact too, because while even during school, we had classes, Islamic studies and all of that, The reality is, as you know, uh, Maruf, and probably in your other interviews and observations, you know, growing up in a Muslim country, in a Muslim family, it becomes more of a cultural, habitual yeah. thing. You're not really thinking about it. You're not really... Going with the flow. Uh, you, you don't, yeah, you, you don't have the conviction and the belief of, you know, if someone came into the faith, right, thinking about it and, and really deciding on it. So that was the same case for it. I mean, it was more uh, cultural, you know, yes, we believe, but it wasn't really something that we would, I uh, had that kind of conviction. Post 9-11, yes, uh, it was probably, even though I'd read the Quran, which is, you know, our, the source to all belief system in our beloved prophet's life, but I never had studied it the way I think it needed to be studied of, you know, just really knowing what God is saying through this book. Mm. I did that for the first time after 9-11. Yeah, exactly. And really, I would say it was transformative for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I see. Like, I agree with you. Like, you know what? When I talk to people, like when they mention about their families, I've, so far I have not met a person who said, 
our family was too religious. They always say our family was not too religious. We did this. We alhamdulillah. We you know we did our salah. We went to mosque. We remembered. So there's always uh, how to put it this way. I even met a person say our family was too religious. So my question is, I guess, what is what does too religious mean anyway? Like, how would it be if your family was too religious? I'm just asking you a question, not only from you, but I just want to understand what would mean. Like, there's always something that's not enough, right? Like, what we're doing, it seems that's not enough. But what do you think we are, should be? Right, right. I mean, I think, I mean, from me personally, relative to mm. how our lives are today, and sure. it, it is at a different level of mm. practice and conviction than before. So a big difference is, you know, we were doing prayers, we were, you know, having our Eid, we were doing Ramadan, but we were really, but we weren't really talking about it. I we see. weren't really thinking about why we're doing it and having oh, the, 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 the true conviction of why. And really, you know, when you pray, you're actually asking God for help. We weren't really praying that way, right? I or see. we weren't, we were just praying, you know, you just memorize some uh, surahs and you were just saying them. Sure, which is a ritual. You were, you know, which is a ritual. It was more ritual, right? And now it's very much, you know, spiritual thinking driven. I yes, see. and it's very spiritual, at least for me, and, and maybe because of the age the stage we are. But I think even in our kids, I believe it's at a different level than what we had. I see. That's very beautiful. Put so it grew a awareness, consciousness, right? Doing exactly. It's not all about actions, but also intention and thinking behind it. That's very beautiful. Intention. Beautiful. Exactly. That's beautiful. Exactly, yeah. beautiful. Okay. Sounds good. So I was, when, you know, when I interviewed, I was asking the community, do you have any questions for, for, for Brother Rafi? And he, you know, he's the founder of Standard and Standard. And recently, I was talking to this friend, Siddiqa mm-hmm. Juma. Do you know her? Uh, yeah, I think so. If you are an entrepreneur with a product or service for the Muslim market, let's get in touch. We are Halal.ad, a marketing agency and ad network for the ever-growing Muslim market. We can help you reach millions of Muslims to grow your business. Visit www.halal.ad for a 30-minute free consultation. Now back to the show. Okay, she's a graphic artist. We were talking about her art. It's coming up soon, one of these days, the episode. It was a very yes. beautiful episode. And her journey about Hajj and how she started drawing. Yes, and stuff. yes, yes. So, Absolutely, I've met her briefly in Dubai, I believe. So we were discussing that the role of art, and especially in Islam. Mm-hmm. You know, the art is like mm-hmm. in a very specific mm-hmm. way. It's not like business. It's not like telling you what to do, right? It's like inspires yep. you. It comes from the heart. It like changes you in a way. And one of the things he, he was suggesting is that, actually, we're not discussing specifically about you, but we're discussing where things are. And she, she said, you know what? We need to, we really need to like pay attention to art and design, right? And I was just thinking, okay. wow, that's interesting. Actually, I'm talking to Rafi, who just today, you know, the other guys who does this uh, club Islamic record and they have these categories. And she said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they missed the art and design. I said, you have a point there. They do have, I know they have modest fashion and they, they have pharmaceuticals, they have media, etc. But she was saying we need the art and design section because mm-hmm. 
like even she's she has a point right if you look at the global world, like economy there is art and design there's a place there's a thing what do you think art and design its role in islamic economy i mean if you're if you're thinking like you know like moving forward what's your thought on that do you think we need a cat special category in that what do you think Sure, and, and we have done some work on it. It's, mm-hmm. it's not part of our uh, this uh, the Islamic Economy Annual Report, but we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a, a couple of pieces of work that have been done to, first of all, you know, because when you look at the business and economic side, you have to look at what industry does it map to, right? So is it an industry by itself? Mm-hmm. And and what is that industry? So okay, in art, you could say it's the artists, you know, that produce the art, it's the distribution platforms, a la galleries and, and online, etc. Or you could say there's uh, other aspects of art, you know, sound, music would qualify, theater, media. And so, so I think a big part, so you have to look at what do we mean by art? And I think uh, in terms of an economic sector, okay. when we're talking about the report uh, part of work, and so in that, the, the big segment of quote-unquote art and culture, if we can call it, you know, because you, you have galleries. And so you have to look at the full port- portfolio or sub-segment of what falls under art and culture. Mm-hmm. And, and media is a big part of it, so, which we cover, right? It's the production of dramas and serials and content for kids and so forth. So, so, so one is, uh, from a purely business point of view, what sector are we talking about? I see. And so that report, because we're, we're only, we're not able to cover every sector, we pick the top ones that have an economic impact. And within the realm of art, you know, media comes up big mm. as a size of the economy. At the same time, like I said, you know, I'm, I'm a believer of art. And of course, Islamic art has a very rich history. In fact, my wife's been doing some unique work in that, in, in that realm. And many in, across the world, we have very rich heritage. So so I think uh, the theme of the role of art or Islamic art in Islamic economy would be inspiring the creative aspect across the sectors. So how does it relate to fashion? How does it relate to uh, perhaps cosmetics or even presentation and, and how we see and live our uh, food lifestyle so forth? So I think it's something that more functionally cuts across. Mm-hmm. And I'm just you know, thinking out loud with you, but as a business segment, you know, how big is the uh, artist market, so forth. It just, for that report's purpose, it didn't, but I I will say we have done separate work uh, and others have also done on Islamic art, art and culture as a economic themed analysis. So, yeah. I see your point. So, yeah, I think in her case, she means like the, the drawings, like, you know, her word of art. So I think what she's trying to do is, I guess, she recently launched islamicartprint.com, so which is like a portal to unite mm-hmm. other Islamic artists where they can bring their drawings. So the public Muslim majority, you know, communities, they can go and, you know, see what's available if they want. They can purchase it. I mean, the reason I'm mentioning is that if your wife actually draws Islamic art, it might be a good resource mm-hmm. to check it out as well. Sure, yes. sure. I'll tell her. Sounds good. And she knows the that work definitely, and, and so do I. 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 I can picture it. Amazing work. That's awesome. So, yeah, I mean, one of the things you mentioned, let's go back to one of the questions you mentioned. You said when you were doing this, this thing, like you didn't see top 100 brands, any Muslim brands, and you would, you know, that was kind of a shocker. What I want to understand is 
why did it matter to you that we're not as a Muslim any Muslim brands were like top 100 like what does what does it really mean to you at the time of- I think you've you've put your finger on the on the thing that you know as you said that defines different people this is the one that defines me a lot and it means okay. a lot and I think it's it's from the you know the motivation from the building mm-hmm. from the beginning of wanting to build things mm-hmm. and you know if I'm fascinated by an F16 or so forth knowing that we cannot build it is just I just can't uh, accept that. I see. You know, and, and the reality today is, you know, if, if can any country, uh, there are, I think, some limited work, but, you know, can we build an Airbus A380 or an F-16? I mean, mm. at this point, we can't maybe even make the screws mm. of it. So, you know, it absolutely matters. And I think it should matter to all of us, you know, would be my view. Like, why are we only consumers? We love to consume and buy these things, right? Mm. We love our iPhones or our Mercedes's, not mine, or, you know, whatever. But we don't talk enough or care enough about we should be making them. Mm. Why can't we be making them? Why can't our kids be inspired by I want to make things, not I want to just consume things? And I think this is, a, this is, part, this is important from a creativity, you know, when, if, let's link it back to artists. You know, an artist creates something new, right? Mm-hmm. That people, yep. no one has ever seen. So, what is innovation, but a commercial, commercially viable something new that serves a need for people? And so, I think that, uh, to me, absolutely matters a lot, uh, especially, especially because you know we haven't, cont- and, and it also matters because when you, in the grand scheme of the role of Muslims in our global society a global brotherhood with all communities, what is our contribution? Mm -hmm. So if we're not contributing, creating and building things, I think the world can benefit from what we can build and contribute because of our unique perspectives. You know, today we talk about how Islamic finance could really be a good finance, financing platform for the world. Mm -hmm. Ethical. When we talk about... Yeah, we talk about food. Well, halal is not just about how an animal is slaughtered. It's about how it's treated, how mm-hmm. it should how be consumed. not just uh, yeah. how it's consumed. It should be healthy because halal and tayyib, which is pure and uh, lawful. Yep. You know, so there is a lot we can build and bring to the world. I think the world deserves our contribution. And, you know, in the from the 13th century of our golden time, as you said, we were uh, contributing we were leading uh, mm-hmm. the centers of learning was, you know, Baghdad or Absolutely. House uh, of Wisdom. And other places, House of, right. So, so where are those? You know, where's uh, the Harvard's? And, and, and the point I would say why it matters is because, because today the world is also questioning, what are you guys doing? Exactly. You know, why, what, what is your role in this world? Okay. I mean, maybe, uh, you know, if it's not destructive and, if, but it can be very constructive, and I think today the this uh, this Islamic economy or halal economy is, I think, a force for good. It's showing to the world and in our work now, which is alhamdulillah at a very sophisticated level now. You know, we're mm-hmm. we're working at a top tier consulting level on different aspects, working with sovereign wealth funds, uh, investment firms, government agencies, private sector, even multilaterals and NGOs. And uh, you know, we I can very strongly and clearly see that we have a lot to offer to the world. 
Absolutely. And I think in a nutshell, while we're coming back to brands and brands, I think at the end of the day, brand is a story, isn't it? When you're talking about brand, you're telling a story about who you are. And you are keeping up with that story, with your promise and everything. So at the end of the day, I mean, this is the way I, I believe at least, you kind of raised a very like fundamental question. Why are we not doing this and that? And I think, because I've been doing this, uh, the, sorry about this, I, if I'm going ranting about this, because I'm uh, creating this uh, short course for the Muslim Sulfire Academy. I think this actually goes ahead and on actually addressing this question. Why are we not doing it? I think one of the things um, I've kind of discovered, the pattern along the way, maybe you can give you a comment on that, is that it's about the stories we tell to ourselves. So today as a Muslims, what story are we telling to ourselves? Are we telling the story, hey, we come from this great nation, the golden age of Islam, doing innovating things, or or are we telling a story, oh, we are a victim of this and that, the things are so bad, the politically this, or complaining about ourselves. And I think I can bet on you that, that most of us just think in the latter way, because we are thinking of being victims and we are complaining in a complaining mode, not like a creative mode. Does it make sense? Do you agree with me or maybe I'm... Absolutely, absolutely. You know, there are two, either you can just complain and sit and be taken over and, and create a vacuum where others can, as many of our other colleagues say, take the narrative over or, or we Absolutely. we own the narrative and we show what we can do and contribute. And, and this is who we are, you know, for us as a firm and for me as a person, it's about two things. When we, if I zero in on the very specific point of innovating products and services. Mm-hmm. Right? Do you struggle with Dean and Dunya balance in your life? Meet Salam.app, a Muslim social network where your ego, nafs, is not in the center. It is a place to feed your soul with daily inspiration, to make new Muslim friends, and connect with Ummah. Visit www.salam.app and download free for your iPhone or Android. It's uh, very specific. We're not trying to solve all all the things that we need to solve for as a society or community. And, you know, we focused in on the business side of things, mm-hmm. like how can we contribute to the world in, in this context? And from that point of view, it's two things. One is the best innovator, you know, learn from the best. Uh, you know, when even in the golden age, we took a lot from the Greeks. Exactly. Right? So you learn from, you have to learn from the best. And part of learning of the best from the best is the notion of really serving needs. Mm-hmm. You know, the core to innovation uh, and innovative solutions is serving needs, big needs. Yep. And, you know, so as entrepreneurs or as innovators, we have to really learn on that. And, and linked to that is marketing as well. I mean, to me, you know, Peter Drucker as management guru is someone I've, I've really admired and, and learned from a lot. And he says there are two things as a business person you should focus on, innovation and marketing. That's it. Mm -hmm. And so innovation, you know, you actually have a book on how do you find sources of innovation. And that's also a very influential book for me, in addition to another one called Build to Last from James Collins, if you want to talk about books. But, But coming to the two things, this is one. And then the second one, very important to our identity is, what is it that we bring uniquely to the world? in solving those needs. 
I think it's just it's a mix. It's it's these two things that in fact uh, in fact are the recipe for global successes. And you know, I give the example when you think of German brands or German. And and when I use the word brand, I'm not talking about you know branding as a marketing mm-hmm. thing, or I'm talking about the whole proposition, sure. the the value proposition. So so when you look at German brands, it's so much about who Germany German people are. You know, mm-hmm. when you think of Germany, the brands from Germany, BMW and others, they're all about precision engineering. It's so much of who they are as mm-hmm. people. And and American brand brands similarly, Japanese brands similarly, and. So you know, brands infused with our unique identities. There's so much that our Islamic values contribute to that unique proposition, mm-hmm. and I think these two things is you know practically what I personally believe. And uh, with DS, this is how we're building value for our clients. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, you mentioned very two great books, one about innovation, the other one built the last. I read them. I really enjoyed them. And recently, I read two more books. I think it could be beneficial for all of us. One of them was, it's called Start With Why. And I'm sure you have heard it from Simon Sinek. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he mm-hmm. talks about this purpose. Why, how the companies mm-hmm. like Apple, they start with why. Not with what, not with mm-hmm. how, but why. Mm-hmm. You know, why we exist. Absolutely. And the next book I saw read from him, it was very interesting, was that it's called uh, The Infinite Game. So he says how the companies should play Infinite Game not just the finite game, like winning and losing. It's much more that I think we can all learn, like try to understand and what the infinite game is, not like the short term, but the long term. If we understand and try to play with it, and I think that's going to be changed the way that the way we see the moving forward. Okay, so we've been right. talking for a while. I mean, what, if, what would you like to, if, what kind of question I should have asked Maybe I haven't, and you would like to mention, maybe, for example, where's dinner, where, where is dinner standard right now, and what do you see moving forward? Or any other question you would like to you know, answer on your own, that would be really great. Sure. So on, on dinner standard, which is you know, what uh, I'm very much focused on, and, and it links perhaps a continuation to the last thing we were talking about, is what is uniquely that we bring to the world mm-hmm. aspect and and. You know, uh, while we are, uh, our vision is to become a top-tier global consulting firm, keeping with the, the question of why don't we have global brands. So even in the consulting space, when you look at it, the top consulting firms in the world, there's never been, and to date, even, even the top consulting firms in the Muslim-majority major economies of the world, Indonesia, Saudi, etc., are all, you know, not from this part of the world, uh, so the McKinsey's or the Deloitte's of the world. And so our vision is, inshallah, that the NAR standard uh, becomes, uh, reaches and, and, and offers not just at that level, but, but stands out with its unique uh, personality, our, our unique way of doing work, how we do work, not just, which is an important part of what is unique that we bring to the world. You know, and we take a lot of uh, learning from our beloved prophet. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a businessman. Yep. He, one of the things he brought were to the business world, time and inspired many of us was the integrity and the beauty you know there's as you know there's a lot of uh, reference to the state the, the role the level of respect that a business person or trader would have who does just and and fair business absolutely and you know his wife has a khadija was a businesswoman so 
So there's a lot of great uh, learning. Uh, so for example, for us in building Dinar Standard, a top consulting firm, now we have top clients. Uh, we're still small, but very proud of the global level work and high impact work we've been doing, spanning Indonesia, Malaysia, Saudi, UAE, Bahrain, Turkey, mm-hmm. US. So is that we're bringing the ethos of how to also do our work with good values and respect. And and this is something we see our clients are seeing and, you know, we're building strong relationships. And, and so these are some unique things that we bring in addition to how you solve for a client's needs. Again, giving our works example, being conscious of the you know, social impact. We don't take clients that have very clear negative impact on the environment or wider social uh, considerations. So, you know, this is important and we're just a start of the journey. I'm very grateful to the, the team that I have, alhamdulillah, the, the mentors and the board members. And so this is a vision that we have. And I think I would implore all of us who are connected or inspired by our value system and want to do something to think big. I see. And not just look to serve, you know, let's say our communities, but look to serve the world. The world is going through many dire challenges from climate change to health to job, jobs that will not exist with our government innovation work. We have very detailed analysis on how net net even in next 30 years or so, the number of jobs available would be less even with the switch to uh, new types of jobs. And uh, all the while, population will continue to grow because people will be living longer. So, I mean, this is the level we have to think at and not just, okay, you know, what is halal or not. It's important, of course, but to be contributing to the world, we have to think at that level. And, you know, as um, God has instructed to us, we've been sent, uh, and the Prophet Sallallahu was sent as a messenger for Alameen, all of mankind. And Exactly. So, Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. It's very beautifully put that way. So we are not thinking only about ourselves, but also the whole humankind, how we can create a better solution, right? Ethical solutions right. to the world. Sounds good. As a last note, would you like to mention where listeners can find your projects or website or social media handles? You are more than welcome to do so. We also, of course, mentioned it on the show notes as well. Sure, sure. DinarStandard.com. Straightforward. Twitter handle DinarStandard. Facebook, LinkedIn, I think Instagram as well. But most importantly, you need all your duas. And please uh, book uh, to, you know, and reach out to me uh, for anything or any of our teammates. Sounds good. And um, thank you, Amaru, for your work. I know I've been, we've been, uh, we've known each other for a while. And Masha, you are equally uh, more passionate on the various areas you're working on, especially with Ali Huda. And I wish you and the team the best as well. Th- thank you very much, and uh, thank you for being here. And by saying that, I say, Assalamu alaikum. Wa assalamu alaikum. Dear listener, based on many requests from our listeners, we are launching a Muslims on Fire Academy. It's for those who want to do more than just listening. It's for those who not only want to be inspired, but to be one of the Muslims on Fire as well. It's for those who want to discover their purpose in life, follow their dreams, and live in prosperity. If this is you, join us for a journey of a lifetime. The introduction course is free. Learn more at academy.muslimsonfire.com. Learn more at academy.muslimsonfire.com.
For show notes and questions for episodes, please visit www.muslimsonfire.com. Subscribe on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like our show, please rate, share with friends, and leave a review. With your help, it will enable us to reach more people and change their lives for the better. Stay tuned. Until next time, Assalamu Alaikum.